This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the Out of the Box Draft covers the biggest underdogs in sports history. Question and Answer covers the transfer portal and robot referees. This week in sports gives Dylan and Dylan's reactions to the NFL schedule reveal and picks for the Celtics vs. Bucks and the Warriors vs. Grizzlies. Welcome back to the Dylan and Dylan show. A little delayed show this week, but happy to be with you today on this Friday, May 4th, May 13th edition of the show. I actually had it written before like I usually do, but we are recording on this Friday, May 13th, uh, so we can get it out to you as soon as possible. DJ Dylan Jesperson here uh, after a, a bit of a storm came through South Dakota, put us on a bit of a delay, but happy to be here with my main man, D.H. Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing, my man? Doing good. Um, yesterday, I I got to go to Bush Stadium to see the Cardinals play, and it was a blast. I it was kind of a last second thing. I was off work. My brother was off work. Like, hey, let's go to Bush Stadium. Got to see the Cardinals play the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, really, really neat. Got to see like a lot of all stars just play baseball yesterday, which was really cool. Um, it was like ninety five degrees, and if if you're from like a different part of the country, it's been like kind of cool, like. The whole like the last like seven months, it's been like really nice temperature in this part of the country, Missouri, Kentucky, Illinois, this area. And the past week, it got really, really hot. It was like 95 degrees, felt like 101. So, like, I was burnt to a crisp by the time I left St. Louis, but it was worth it. It was just a ton of fun to be back in the stadium. I cannot wait to go back many more times this summer. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I've had a ton of fun watching just the NBA this week. And the playoffs have just been a blast. I've been tweeting about it, just having a hoot and a holler, watching all the games and all the things happening, and we're going to dive a lot more into that uh, later in the show. But, yeah, lots of fun stuff going on in, in my world, in the world of sports. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Like I told you right before we started uh, recording, I'm running around today doing a bunch of stuff, taking pictures of golf, taking pictures of baseball after we're done here, but always can find the time to talk some uh, professional and college sports. Uh, we'll get right into it. Uh, this week, there was a huge uh, event in not only Dylan Holt's world in Kentucky, but in the world of sports in general, the Kentucky Derby, the biggest horse race of all time, and possibly one of the most memorable Kentucky Derbies of all time with Rich Strike, the biggest underdog coming back and taking what was what was a, a feat that I've never seen any athlete do man or horse the way that he made that run. Uh, so with that underdog victory that Rich Strike had, we're getting into the out-of-the-box draft of the biggest underdogs in sports history. Yeah, and before we get into the draft, I just want to add on to that. Being a Kentuckian, I've watched every Kentucky Derby in my life. And like it's always something like, okay, yeah, you have to watch it. You're a Kentuckian. Like it's 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 one of our things. Like it's one of the few things you have as a Kentuckian. Um, and after I watched it, it was the first Kentucky Derby that I was like up off the couch. I was like, holy cow, this is awesome. And I made sure I called my stepdad and I was like, 
was that the best Kentucky Derby ever? And he's like, it's the best one I've ever seen. He's old. I, I don't know how old Scott is. He's an old man. And he's like, that's the best one I've ever seen. I was like, same. So I, I think it's something that a lot of people realize, like, this was a really good Derby and the underdog story. It's like, we were both like, this is going to be a movie. Like, it's, it's just like the perfect script with everything that happened. So it's really, really neat to see, especially as Kentucky. It holds a special place in my heart. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even if you're not a horse racing fan, a Kentuckian fan, a- any of those things, you can uh, identify with those big underdog stories. And that's what this out of the box draft is getting into right off the bat here. The biggest underdogs of all time, regardless of sport. Uh, Dylan, do you have a coin or you need me to get a coin this week? I do not have a coin. All right. Get- I got home from work. It was field day. I was like, let me get rid of these sweaty shorts and I my wallet is sitting on my dresser in the other room. I do not have any coins on me. I need right, we're gonna have to go coins. with a nickel. We're gonna go have to go hey, with a nickel fine. this way week. So we gotta go with Thomas Jefferson or the Lincoln Memorial on the other side. Uh I'm, I'm cool not even gonna ask that. not even gonna ask you. I know what you want and it is a heads. Yes. It is um, this week. I don't have like a definitive number one. I like all the all the things I've written down, so I'll give you the number one pick. All right, so we'll get right into the number one pick. I had to put this one on my list. It's the only one that I was there for. It makes every list, and I uh, if I could avoid it, I would, but I don't think I can avoid it as a Michigan fan. It's the Appalachian State loss, Appalachian State, however you want to say it. I was in the building that day, and I don't know if you can really truly appreciate an underdog story until you are on the wrong side of it because everyone loves an underdog story and everyone's rooting for it. But when you are the one that gets upset, when you are the one that is the talk of the town because your top five college football team picked to win the national championship by sports illustrated that year loses to an NCAA FCS team. It was one double a at the time, but you get the picture when you lose that game to start the season, it, it really changes your perspective on upsets and how ridiculous it was. I remember going into that, that, that game. And I was, I, I don't even want to know. I want to say I was 10 or 11 years old and a couple of my friends were going and I, my dad told me that. And I was like, Oh, well at least they'll get to see a win. Cause there's no way we're losing to Appalachian state. And around the third quarter, you could just kind of tell there was something different going on in that stadium that day. Uh, and, it was one of those upsets that changes the landscape of college football. That was really the beginning of spread offenses in, in college football. The way App State came in and just torched what was a really good Michigan defense, it really showed everyone that, like, wow, okay, spread offense is not just, like, a, a gimmicky type thing. This actually works. And the very next week, it got proven tenfold when Dennis Dixon and Oregon came in and did the same exact thing, probably even worse because they, they won by double digits against Michigan. So uh, until you are in the building and experience an upset like that against one of your teams, I don't know if you can truly appreciate one of these upsets because uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I still have not gotten over it. I still like go back to that, that day in my mind and go, how did we lose to Appalachian state? And we had Chad Henney, we had Mike Hart, we had Mario Manningham. I mean, that team, Jake Long, that team was stacked. And uh, less than the fact that we only we only won seven games that year, we ended up beating Florida in the in the uh, Outback Bowl or Capital One Bowl, whatever it was that year. It was a good Michigan team, but how 
we lost to that App State team. I'll never know. And it, it'll live on forever. It'll live on in infinity forever. And that's just uh, if I'm in the building for one of them, I have to have it on my list. So uh, I'll take the App State win over Michigan and I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. I like that pick a lot. Uh, I, I had the App State, the 2003 game against Michigan on my list. I think that's like any sports fan, like that's top of the list when you think of underdog victories and sports and underdogs in general. Um, there's obviously, I think anyone listening to this knows there's an underdog like that in my sporting world. I'm not going there with this pick. I, I can't do it. I'm my first one. I'm going to go with the 2008 New York Giants and specifically in that Super Bowl against the New England Patriots that were undefeated. Tom Brady, Randy Moss, they were on fire. The Super Bowl XLII, and the Patriots were supposed to win by a million. They're supposed to be the undefeated Super Bowl champions, 18 and 0 or whatever it was. And the Giants just said, nope. Eli Manning, with all those dumb faces on the sideline, did not care that Tom Brady was supposed to go down in infamy, which he is anyways. But that team was supposed to be perfect, and the Giants were just like, nah. And they they did the thing. They, they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, which was just unthinkable. I remember that game, and I was like, oh, the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Like, it's going to happen. Like, it was a foregone conclusion. And the Giants just refused to go away. Obviously, the David Tyree catch, which – I mean, David Tyree, like, without that, no one knows that name. And he's gone down in football history with one of the greatest catches of all time. Uh, I mean, it's an amazing Super Bowl. It's it's a game. It feels like there should be a movie about it someday because of just how much the odds were stacked against the Giants and Eli Manning and um, Michael Strahan and all the guys on that team, David Tyree. Uh, I believe Jeremy Shockey was the tight end for the Giants at the time. They're like Brandon Jacobs in the backfield. Like that team, there's a, there was a lot of talent on it, but just the odds were so stacked against them against that perfect Patriots team, and they beat them, which was really really cool. Uh, so I'm gonna go through with my first pick because I have just so many fond memories, and I've talked about it so many times on this show. Everybody rooted against the Patriots. Everyone wanted to see the Giants win, but everything was stacked against them, so it was really really neat. Uh, my next one. I very much was not alive to see this underdog win, but I've been told about it and I've watched about it in a movie. And I'm going to back to 1980, the Winter Olympics. I'm talking about the miracle on ice when Team USA took down the Soviet Union. Um, I mean, if you've seen the movie Miracle produced by Disney, I mean, that's it's one of the best underdog stories ever. Team USA was able to take down uh, the Soviet Union in hockey, like no one would have thought that could happen. That's what the Soviet Union does. They play hockey. They're really good at it. And America, as, as many strides as, we, as we've taken with the game of hockey, we were not supposed to be the hockey country and especially not able to beat the Soviet Union. So the fact that we were able to rally together and all the patriotism in the world in Lake Placid, New York, and take down the Soviet Union was just awesome. And I think it's just it's – a, it's a layup of a pick for an underdog because, I mean, it's the miracle of nice. You have a movie – made after you because you're such a big underdog and you take down the evil empire, you got to pick them. I, I had to take them on ice. Uh, so, like, the Team USA hockey team in 1980 and then the 2008 New York Giants for my first two picks. I'll give it to you for your next two. Yeah, you got two of my main picks on the board, so I got to go into my alternates uh, twice here. Uh, I will stick with my last pick that I had ready to go. I'm going with Leice- Leicester City winning the Premier League in 2016. Now, I'm not a big soccer fan not at all i do i do not care lester Lester city there you go i don't even know what their what their real name is but i do know upsets when i know upsets and there is a reason 
why sports books do not offer 5,000 to one odds anymore. And it's Leicester city, Leicester city win- winning the premier league in 2016 at 5,000 to one odds is the biggest upset odds wise period. I mean, there is no bigger upset than that. And there never will be because sports books don't do that anymore. Leicester city literally broke the the code in that uh they were the last soccer team you expected to win the premier league in 2016 it's really all i know is that they were 5,001 odds and they ended up doing it so uh had to get them on the list they broke the code in terms of what underdogs are uh we, i'll have to jump into my alternates with this one this comes in the same season that michigan lost to app state and it's actually a bigger upset in terms of odds and it, it involves my main man, Jim Harbaugh at Stanford, taking down USC. USC was a 41-point favorite going into that game against Stanford. 41 points. Uh, again, they don't put those types of spreads on games anymore. And that's probably because Stanford did that and broke the code of what they could do. That Stanford team was not good. And that USC team was really, really good. That was the end of the, basically the USC dynasty. And Stanford basically ended it by winning that game because right after that, Jim Harbaugh kind of took Stanford on their upward trend. And USC hasn't been back really since we've talked about that many, many times on the show. So uh, I'm going with two, really just odds on upsets with this one, but they are the ones that broke, especially in this world of sports betting, it broke the sports books. It broke what you consider odds and upsets because you're not going to see a 41 point spread ever again. I I have not seen it. I have not seen anything close to it and you're never going to see it again because if Stanford could beat USC in 2007, then anything can really happen. So uh, I'll take Stanford in 07. I'll take Leicester city in 2016. I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. I like both those picks a lot. I, I love the soccer pick it adds a little more variety and obviously getting Stanford is a great pick. Um, my first two picks for teams underdogs can be athletes too. It can be an individual person. And for my next pick, I'm going with Baker Mayfield. And I think people forget because Baker's turned into such a big megastar. He became the number one overall pick in the NFL. But he started off as a walk-on at Texas Tech, and he worked himself into the starting role for Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech and then ended up transferring to Oklahoma, where he became the starter at Oklahoma and led Oklahoma to the college football playoff, won the Heisman Trophy, and then became the number one pick in the NFL draft to the Cleveland Browns. And – I mean, last season he was hurt, did not play well. But before that, I mean, it seemed like Baker was the guy in Cleveland that was going to lead them to a renaissance in uh, the NFL and to just great success. Uh, It kind of fell apart last year, but he was hurt. So there's a lot of question marks around it. But the things Baker's been able to do with so many things stacked against him, he's had the height uh, thrown at him, he's too short, he's too slow, all these things, it just doesn't matter. Um, And you mentioned – most people don't um, they don't appreciate a good underdog unless they're on the other side. And Baker Mayfield has been thrown at me so many times, and it's so annoying. His, one of his first starts at the University of Oklahoma was against Tennessee in Knoxville when Tennessee was really rolling under Butch Jones. We were a top 25 team, and uh, it was a big matchup against Oklahoma. The place was rocky. Tennessee got up out to a 21 nothing lead. And Baker Mayfield, that, I think that's really when Baker Mayfield became Baker Mayfield. Him and Sterling Shepard went crazy in Knoxville, Tennessee that day. That connection was just so, so elite. Uh, they let it come back. They, they would come all the way back to tie it. They would go to overtime and beat Tennessee in overtime. 
Uh, and that I think that was really the start of Baker Mayfield becoming an elite college player and becoming his road to the number one pick and then being an NFL starter. And I, I still think he's a guy that's going to play in the NFL for a while. I know there's a lot of conversation about Baker and what's going to happen with him. I think he's a guy that can play in the NFL. So I, I'm very happy to snag Baker there. And then with my last pick, I, I can't pick the other one that I first little ties to. I just can't. It's too soon. Um, so I'm going to go with another athlete. I'm going to go with Kurt Warner. I think Kurt Warner, in the past year, we've seen a movie made about him. Uh, he's a guy that went to Northern Iowa. He had – he, I mean, he went to the Arena Football League. He he was a bag boy and then got a call from the Rams and ended up – I mean, we all know the story. I, it was made into a movie. And I remember when it, the trailers came out, my mom was like, that looks like a really good movie. You want to go see it? I was like, No. I know the story. I, I know what it, it's going to be about. It's Kurt Warner because I mean, it's been drilled in our heads so many times. He, he would go on to lead the greatest show on turf as the quarterback with Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk. And, I mean, just an all-time quarterback. He, he was kind of one of the older guys for us growing up. But um, his time with the Rams in St. Louis and then playing for the Arizona Cardinals, taking them to a Super Bowl – uh, in the late 2000s against the Steelers in a game that they were really, really close to winning and him winning a Super Bowl with Larry Fitzgerald and the Cardinals would have been incredible, a nice kind of uh, end note to his career. But all the things he was able to accomplish, like I said with Baker Mayfield, was with the odds stacked against him, Kurt might be more impressive because of the success he had at the highest level, where Baker, he, he did it in college. And I think Baker's, like I said, his road is still very long ahead of him. Um, but the things Kurt Warner was able to do is just incredible. Going from a bag boy to a Super Bowl MVP and just being the man in one of the greatest offenses of all time. I mean, that just doesn't happen. That that is a story, but that that is a movie. There's a reason they made a movie because that's it. Just sounds like one. It doesn't sound like it should be real life. So yeah, Kurt Warner, all time underdog. It, it's one of those things that I feel like. Um, they're going to show that movie to high school football teams to the end of time. It's like, look what he did. He was a bad boy. And the, all the hard work he put in, he was able to lead his team to a championship. So, yeah, I, I, I love adding Kurt Warner and Baker Mayfield to my uh, arsenal of having the Giants in 2008 and then the U.S. men's hockey team uh, in 1980. So, yeah, I have those four, and you have one more pick. Yeah, uh, one more pick, and I'm going to go with a single athlete as well. I think a little bit more of a mainstream pick here. I'm going with Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson. Uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, upsets in fighting history. And just remember, also putting the Leicester City uh, win into perspective, that was 5,001. Buster Douglas was 42 to 1 odds. Still ridiculous that he won that fight, but just shows the difference of 5,000 to one to 42 to one. But I mean, Mike Tyson was at the prime of his career. He was the biggest, baddest fighter of all time. And really when Mike Tyson was at his prime, I don't know other than maybe Muhammad Ali, if there's ever been a more feared fighter. And this was really the height of Mike Tyson's, you know, feardness. And really Buster Douglas was just, he was really just James Douglas from Columbus, Ohio. He was 29, four and one coming in. Well, Mike Tyson was 37 and zero. And to go into a, a fight like that, where you're really just, no one's giving you any credit. It's more of just like, how bad is Mike Tyson going to beat this guy and end up knocking him out? It, it doesn't really, it's one of those things that doesn't compute. Uh, probably will never happen in the same way again. I have, I, I, I think UFC has a chance to bring that kind of 
you know, perspective, but it's more like we don't know how these fighters kind of mix, you know, sometimes styles are different. When you have two pure boxers at the same weight level that you know should be basically one should be way better, one should be way worse, and, and you get a result like this, it just shows like how ridiculous that fight was, how ridiculous it was that Buster Douglas ended up beating Mike Tyson. And I, I love I love kind of like those stories like where I or I talked about like App State kind of introduced the spread offense to to college football that year. Uh, like Buster Douglas kind of took down Mike Tyson. Like that was the beginning of the end for Mike Tyson. Same like with Stanford taking down USC and kind of ending their dynasty. That was basically the beginning of the end. I think that's what a big type of upset kind of does. I, App State kind of did it to Michigan at the same time. It's like the upsets are so big. It has a cataclysmic impact on the team that they upset. I think those are the upsets that really get me going because it's like that has a bigger impact than even just that game. And I think those are really, really fun. So uh, I like Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. I think it's an iconic moment. Um, uh, And uh, I like my I like my group of upsets here. I like App State. Uh, I like Leicester City. I like Buster Douglas, and I like that 07 Stanford team. Uh, did you have any alternates that didn't make your list? Of course, um, I had Tom Brady. Um, I, I feel like Tom Brady. He started off as an underdog, obviously being a six round pick, but obviously has eclipsed that so much. So that's why I don't know. I I didn't want to go with good old Tommy, uh, and I feel like I picked Tom Brady a lot. Uh, Jeremy Lin was one that I nearly picked. It was him and Baker Mayfield were uh, kind of tomato tomato for me. But Baker, I feel like the things he did in college were just outweigh what Jeremy Lin has done. And then Rudy uh, from Notre Dame, the the movie route. Uh, yeah, Rudy had to be on there. And then John Morant, the things he's been able to do as a zero star recruit and becoming. I I saw an interesting TikTok. Uh, the they asked like it was like an employer. They asked people at the place of work like which athlete will be the next household name, and a lot of them said John Morant. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. He's gonna be a household name like LeBron, Kobe, like all the all these guys. And like they're saying, it's gonna be Ja. Him going from a zero star recruit from Dazzle, South Carolina, to Murray State to the number two pick in the draft, and then now he's almost become a household name. That's just incredible. I, I think Ja is definitely a guy. Like, depending on where his story goes, which who knows. That could be a movie type deal, underdog type deal, and things people will be preaching about for a long time. Yeah, I had those alternates. A lot of my picks got taken though. Uh, did you have any alternates? Yeah, I had to dip into my alternates quite a bit. I had the Miracle and Ice and the Giants uh, as my main picks, so uh, had to dip into it a little bit. But I had the Jets, Colts, uh, Super Bowl three, the Joe Namath Super Bowl, obviously, NC State over Houston in 1983. I've picked that before, but I think it's just you know beating five slam a jamma in that and. If I had to go one more athlete, I was going Trey Burke. It's not as the same as John Moran as a zero star, but being a three-star recruit out of Columbus, Ohio, and not getting an offer from Ohio State to go to Michigan and become the national player of the year, I think that just speaks for itself. It's one of those like, yeah, that that's good. Good for you, Trey Burke. Good, good for you on doing that. So uh, awesome picks, awesome stuff. We'll get those votes out or we'll get those graphics out there that you can vote on uh, next Monday uh, and you can decide. I got a win last week. It's been a while since I got one. So I'm happy to see that. Try to make it another one this week. Uh, we're going to move on to the question and answer. I'm going to throw it to Dylan for his question first. Yeah, this is something that I've seen a lot of conversation about on like Twitter and TikTok, Reddit, Instagram, all the social media sites. 
and it's about college football. I it's been more about college football, but college basketball trickles in a little bit. I feel like a lot of the conversation I see is about college football, but it pertains to college basketball and honestly all the sports. And it's is the transfer portal killing college football or college basketball or college sports, however you want to uh, attack this question, but is it killing the game? It's kind of like a, which way are you looking at it? Is it a negative for college football overall or college sports overall? I'd say no, I don't think so. I don't think it's a negative that college athletes are given the freedom to move from college to college because that's what anyone else would be able to do in any other situation. I mean, even in high school sports, you're allowed to transfer and go play. There's no like restrictions on that. So I don't know why we have this weird, uh, strange addiction to making college kids stick with their, their decisions. They made as 17 year old kids. I I am way against that. I think we're both against that in this situation. I think it's more of a question of like, is it killing what we believe college sports is? And that's kind of what it is doing to an extent. It is like the old style of college sports where you get your, you get your guys and you're supposed to develop from freshman year to senior year and see what that team becomes from four, from four years down the road and then recycle recruiting class and stuff like that. It's gone. That is gone. You cannot, uh, with the way that college sports is with the way that like declaring for the NBA draft or declaring for the NFL draft or, or the transfer portal is now you cannot count on a guy that commits to your freshman year and plays your freshman year to be there four years later. I would actually say it's probably pretty unlikely that they'll be there uh, unless they're really just not that good and they don't have anywhere to go. Uh, if there's somewhere to, to go now, I think there's a chance for players to go. And I think that's the right thing. I don't, really understand the taking away the freedoms of people just because we like the old way of things are going. Uh, I think, I think there should be more freedoms. I don't think it should just be one transfer and you're done. If, if a coach is sitting you on the bench when you could be playing big minutes at another school, why not take that chance? I mean, I don't understand uh, that. I, I, I understand when people the sentiment that people are trying to argue where people need to be more resilient and find that way. And I don't think every transfer is the right option for every player. There are some players where it would have done them better to stick, stick it out and push through and get that playing time at their old school. But to, to just blanket say everyone should do that is such a ridiculous thing for me. I don't understand why people like are attached to that. I think it's just, growing up for you know 20 30 years of having it that way they can't see it another way but in my in my eyes there should be freedom for everyone if if a college coach can jump ship and go to another place then a college athlete should also be able to do the same thing i think it's pretty simple in that regard it's like one to one if i get the i want the same freedoms that anyone else is i like i don't have to enter my name into a transfer portal. If I want to leave my job, I just have to tell them I'm leaving. Like I don't get why college students are treated differently. Most of them are adults. Like they should be treated that way. They're, uh, I don't know. I think I'm going to be beating a dead horse at this point, but I think the transfer portal is overwhelmingly good. I know it's tougher for teams that, you know, some teams are being treated as like kind of stepping stone programs now because you know you kind of commit uh, when you're not seen as a um 
not seen as big a recruit. You go to maybe a school like Murray State, you find your, you, you know, you find your footing and then go to a bigger school. But isn't that the way it should be? Like, they should they be punished because they weren't seen in high school the same way that the other ones were? No. If they get their chance and if they have a chance to go play at a bigger school, then they should be allowed to do that. That's really... I think as simple as it should be, I don't have really much more else to say about it, but they should be allowed to do what everyone else in America is allowed to do. Uh, that's, that's my take on it. I'm, I'm down to hear what you have to say though. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up Murray state because since, so Matt McMahon, after this historic season at Murray state, he left to become the head coach at LSU, which was a no brainer. I like, obviously you leave Murray state to be the head coach at LSU. That's a genius, uh, just career move. Like I understand LSU's in a lot of heat with their basketball program, but Matt McMahon's a guy that 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 fan base is going to fall in love with. He's he's just such a guy. He's down to earth, and they're going to love him. And he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to build that program. And he's done that by getting three guys that were stars from Murray State. He got Juice Hill, Trey Hannibal, and KJ Williams. And there are some older Murray State fans that are really upset about that. And they're like, he just poached the team. He's leaving Murray State. Uh, worse than he found it and all this. And it's like, no, he's giving these guys an opportunity to play on a much bigger level and giving them an opportunity to make it to the league. KJ was a guy that put his name into the NBA draft uh, to kind of like see what people thought. And they're like, hey, maybe stick it out another year. And now he's going to have a chance to go play in the SEC. And if he tears it up, he'll be a pro. And I I think KJ definitely could. Trey Hannibal and Juice Hill. Trey Hannibal went to South Carolina out of high school. It didn't work out for him at first. Juice Hill went to Arkansas out of high school. It didn't work out for him at first. Those are SEC athletes. They belong at an SEC school. And if anyone watched Murray State last year, they know that. Juice Hill and Trey Hannibal were on a different level than almost anyone in the SEC. Or in the OVC, excuse me. And now they get to go to the SEC again and get to show out with their head coach from Murray State. And I think a lot of younger Murray State fans like myself have kind of taken the moniker of, oh, we get to root for LSU next year. That's that's just – we get to root for them. That's our guys. And I, I think that's more the approach to have. Rather than getting mad, you're, you're just like, yeah, that's our guys. Like, especially if you're a fan of a smaller school, you got to understand that. It's like I love Murray State more than anything in the world. Until Murray State gets to a level where they're playing basketball at a higher level and they're sending guys to the pros every year, which, I mean, we're kind of getting there. We're putting a lot of guys in the pros. But we're not quite – we're not LSU. We're just not. And that's that's how it is. You just got to root for the guys that leave. They're they're still your guys. They're making decisions for themselves, and you got to respect that. Uh, Now, when you talk about – like me and you, we both support big-time programs. You support Michigan. I support Tennessee. I think that's a different ballgame. If you're just leaving Michigan, you're just leaving Tennessee, you're, I don't know that you're making a career decision like that's altering. That's like the top of the mountain. You, you don't get much bigger than Michigan or Tennessee. And like I like Henry Toto was the middle linebacker for Tennessee last year. And I understand he transferred because Jeremy Pruitt left. But choosing to go to Alabama, that's where I'm like, hey – that's like Tennessee's biggest rival. I know it's not seen on a national level, but that's like Tennessee fans hate Alabama. Alabama hates Tennessee. That's like, hey, that's not cool. Like, I, I don't, I don't love that, but still, I mean, it's, it's the player's choice. It, it creates really weird situations, which I mean, it is what it is. I, I wish there was. I don't know. I like it because I like the 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 freedom, like you said. I, I love that, but at the same time, it's. 
it puts some athletes in really bad spots because obviously going to Alabama, that's the top of the – I mean, like I, I sit out Tennessee and Michigan are the top of the mountain. Alabama's the top of the mountain. You cannot blame anyone for going to Alabama. Um, it's just – it creates really awkward situations, I think. And it's made – like, I, I still really like Henry Toto. I'm not going to root for Alabama. You could not pay me to root for Alabama. But I, like, when Henry gets to the NFL, I'm going to root for him because that's a guy I got to watch for two years in Tennessee, and it's really neat. And I, I think that's something that's going to change, whereas, like, in the NBA we see it, where people get attached to players, and you follow players rather than you're just a fan of a team now. And I think that might be how college sports move into where you become fans of t- uh, players that were on your team and you follow them as they go to different universities. And it might make it to where people keep up with different conferences and stuff. Like I know a lot of, like the reason I asked this question was because of Jordan Addison, the wide receiver from Pittsburgh, all American, probably he's the best receiver in the country. He won the Blitnikoff award and he entered his name in the transfer portal. And a lot of people believe it's just because of NIL stuff. He's going to make a lot of money wherever he goes. And it's like a lot of Pittsburgh fans are upset about it, but I think they have to understand he just lost his quarterback. Kenny Pickett was a first round pick. And I, I love Keaton Slovis. He transferred from USC to Pittsburgh. I think Keaton Slovis is a pro quarterback, but Jordan Addison's like, Hey, I'm the best receiver in America. I can play for whatever quarterback I want and who can blame him getting a million. Like, I don't know what kind of dough Pittsburgh's got and their donors have, but like, I have to imagine, Texas, which is one of the top options, Texas is going to get him the most NIL money he can possibly get. And he's going to have Quinn Ewers, which if you don't know the Quinn Ewers name, buckle up. He is going to be a star. And if Quinn Ewers has Jordan Addison, Texas is already hyped up to the moon. If they had Jordan Addison, oh, my goodness, that's the hype's going to be unreal. And I, you can't blame him for that. And I, I wish Pittsburgh fans – it's, it's kind of the conversation with Murray, but it's a different level because of ACC. Pittsburgh's got to understand they don't come close to the Texas brand. It's just how it is. You got to come to that realization. And um, you can't blame Jordan Addison. You can't get mad at him. And get the money. Get, get the rings and go to the pros. I think it's – I don't think it's killing the game. I really don't. I think it's just changing the game. And I think it's fun. It's, it's getting to this modernization of sports where – College sports are kind of like it, – it's kind of like the minor leagues where, like, back in the day, like, pro basketball, baseball, you played with a team for your, your entire career. And that's how college sports have been forever. Like, transferring was very rare. Now it's like, hey, I'm going to start at Arizona State, and then I'm going to end up at Tennessee, and then I'll take my last year at UCLA. Why not? And you, you get to see different parts of the country. You get to see different programs. I think it's neat. I don't hate it at all. I, I think it's something that people just have to get around to. I don't think it's going to kill kill any college basketball, college football. I don't. I don't think it's going to kill it at all. I think it's just exciting, and I, I'm I'm excited to see how it it evolves and what rules they make to screw it up because it's going to happen. Two more things before I move on to my question. One, the Quinn Ewers situation might be the only situation where I was like, okay, that's kind of messed up, and it's more like. I feel like the NCAA dropped the ball not making more rules upon, upon those things because we all know Quinn Ewers just went to Ohio State to take advantage of the NIL stuff, and we knew he was going back to Texas afterwards once he put his name in the transfer portal. It was such a foregone conclusion, and it was more just the NCAA not seeing those things before it happened. Like, we all, we all saw it, so why can't you guys, who have been, I'm sure – 
juggling the pros and cons of this NIL stuff and transfer portal stuff for years upon years, how did you not have rules in place to, to get those types of things uh, away? Like guys going to, to colleges literally just to, to profit off of it. So uh, that's where, where I think the only negatives come from are the NCAA dropping the ball on a lot of these rules and not putting in rules in place and just kind of like throwing it out to the colleges to police themselves. I think that's probably a bigger thing. And number two, uh, like you said, like transferring from Michigan and Tennessee is a, is a little bit different, but uh, Michigan has a great example this year with Frankie Collins. We had a point guard this year, Frankie Collins, who was a freshman last year and had to play big minutes in the tournament last year, especially against Tennessee uh, when uh, Devonte Jones got hurt, one of our many transfers. Uh, and this year, in the off season, we went to the transfer portal again to get another point guard uh, three years in a row. Now that we're beginning a, tr- a point guard out of the transfer portal and Frankie wasn't going to sit around anymore. Frankie didn't want to sit behind uh, another Ivy league point guard coming in to run the show for a year uh, and wait till his junior year to be the starting point guard. So he's going to Arizona state and a lot of Michigan fans weren't happy with it. I, I don't blame him whatsoever. Uh, you know, when, I don't blame Juwan for doing what he did because if you if you can take advantage of the transfer portal and get the best players on your team, then that's what you should do. You should try to get the best 15 players on your team that's possible. Uh, in the same token, if someone transfers in that takes your spot, then go take someone else's spot. Like that's I I, I don't think if Frankie should have just waited around and watched, you know, his spot be given away to someone else. So I don't blame Frankie for going to Arizona state and trying to make his own, you know, mark on a program that wants him to be the starting point guard. Uh, and at the same time, I don't blame Juwan for going out and getting a better point guard. If he thinks uh, Llewellyn is going to be the guy. Uh, so uh, I don't, I, I think everyone is, you know, kind of, freaking out at like the initial moves and everything but in the end of the day it ends up being better for almost every team involved because even if you're murray state now you can go get more sec players you can go poach those guys that didn't have a chance at arkansas or whatever and you know that's just that's just going to be the cycle from now on it's a new type of college sports i think it's it's different but i think it's easy to get a get uh accustomed to because it's a lot more like professional sports now uh just (laughs) taking out that like that little bit of like stupidity that college sports has always had like the little bit of like why is it that way well that's just how it is no we're not gonna do that anymore moving on to my question uh we're gonna get into the college or the playoff basketball stuff at the end get our picks in but like you said, I've been having a ton of fun watching these NBA playoffs. This There's a bunch of really good series, whether it be the Grizzlies, the Warriors, the Celtics, Bucks. It's been a lot of fun, yet at times it's been clouded by some really bad officiating. And I think really in the NBA, it comes down to the amount of reviews that happen during a game and how often they have to review for flagrant one and flagrant two fouls when it seems so very obvious to us in person. And I think this has come up in our show a few times. Uh, I think we are reaching a breaking point with how human referees can effectively referee these games, because I feel that the amount of reviews and stuff like that is slowing down the game to the point where we need an outside source, another way of officiating games. That's not just people trying to call plays live and in person and in real time so my question is 
are we reaching that breaking point of in-person officiating and do we need to uh, approach a different system of maybe robot referees, robot umpires, or maybe, you know, people watching live feeds, some other system of refereeing other than in-person referees. I want to hear your thoughts on it. Probably, but I think I've thought about this quite a bit. I think the human effect of referees is a huge part of the game. I mean, you look at it, Scott Foster, when he referees Chris Paul playoff games, Chris Paul's like one in 17. That's insane. And obviously that's something like you say, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's like a key thing. Like we shouldn't be having these human referees, but I don't know. It it makes it, it makes it interesting uh, development. Every time you hear like, oh yeah, the the Suns are playing and Scott Foster has been assigned as the head referee. It's like, why would the NBA do that? Like we all, like every time it happens, social media gets lit a fire. It's like, oh, Scott Foster's officiating the Chris Paul game. It, I think the human error by the referees, it's become such, it's just, it's a part of the sport. And I think if it was perfect officiating, people would hate it. I understand they already hate the human officiating with emotion. And that that came up in game one of the Grizzlies Warriors series with the flagrant call on Draymond. And Draymond said that wasn't a flagrant foul. That was a foul on Draymond. And it was elevated to flagrant because it was Draymond. And I don't know. I, I, I think that was a flagrant foul. I, it was obviously anytime Draymond does anything, they're going to be like, okay, Draymond, like you've got this reputation. It's it's going to be taken more seriously because they don't want to let Draymond get away with things. But at the same time, you've got guys like Pat Bev who yell at referees all game long, just in their face, and they don't do anything about it because that's what they do. That, that's the reputation. They're like, well, we can't call a tech out the gate on him for doing this. This is That's just him. And then you have a guy like Kyle Anderson who never talks on the court, and he talks to the referee like twice and gets called for a tech in game three, I believe it was, of the Warriors-Grizzly series. So it's like those inconsistencies of like, okay, well, this guy goes crazy at the refs, nothing happens, where Kyle Anderson does, and they lose their minds. It's very, very confusing. Uh, but I think it's what makes the makes sports special. You 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 get the chance to pull out the excuses if you're a fan. Like, well, the refs they they were against us, and if you've got the perfect referees, you get the robots or whatever it might be. You can't really do that. You can't say, oh, the NBA programmed the referees to be against us. Which who knows? Maybe they would. There's many stories of the NBA being rigged. Uh, but that's just that's something that would be discredited immediately. And I, I think. As a fan, I would not want uh, robot referees because I, I think it takes away a lot of the, well, the, the, it was just the ref. Scott Foster didn't get it. He missed the call. He messed it up. Whereas if you've got the robot out there, it's like, well, he, he made the right call. It was our guys didn't get it done, and that's a lot more depressing. I want to blame the referees. As, like, I guess like a sane human being, yeah, you should probably have robot umpires or something that makes it the most legitimate, like the right calls, the and it you just do it right. That's probably the way to do it. But as a sports fan, I'm like, nah, give me the errors. Give me not like not the errors like baseball. Give me like the human error, like, oh, they called a blocking foul, but it should have been a charge. And it's like, well, too late now. <laughs> That's the call. Like, got to live with it. Like, Carl Anthony Towns just fouled out. But, hey, it should have been a foul on uh, Ja. 
too late now. I, I think it it adds that you can pull out the excuses and be like, oh, we didn't lose that game because Minnesota had eight players on the court and we had five. I think that makes uh, it makes it fun for fans, even though they don't realize it. It makes it easy for both fan bases have someone to root against. And I think the referees play a very vital role in that. And they're a part of the game. They really are. Like, players make mistakes. Referees make mistakes. And I think it's an important part of the thing. And I, I we've talked about this a bunch. And I, at for, the first time we talked about this, I think I was all about, like, yeah, we got to have robot umpires and referees. But I, I, I don't know. I'm with it now. I, I think having the human referee, it changes the game completely. And it's almost like you would have to have, like, separate record books and stuff. Like, I don't know. It'd be like – a total shift in like eras of the game. Like, I don't know. I, I think you just got to stick with it. This is how it is. It's how it has been. How you got to keep it. I got two things. First off, I think my main concern and main reason I asked this question is because I'm so sick of the amount of replays that happen during an NBA game. I, there has to be a way to do these replays within, within a way that doesn't stop the game entirely because they already limited the amount of timeouts that basketball coaches have because there were so many stoppages beforehand. And now we basically just have like 10 neutral timeouts per game because every time there's a close play, they got to stop it. They got to go review it. And I understand getting it right is the right thing to do. That's kind of my point of bringing up the robot referees and umpires. But when it takes three or four minutes of stoppage to get it right, that's where I get cross and it's like there's got to be a quicker system and i look around sports for that quicker system and of all sports that have the quickest system it's tennis tennis has the best replay system of all time it's literally just challenge and they have that that thing that comes up i don't even know what it is it's just like it shows you if it was in or out and it's that's the call no one ever argues it afterwards and i and i saw a tennis player that used to play in that play before the challenge system was introduced and it's like I would have won so many more games I would have been and I would have been a much calmer player because I wouldn't have been yelling at the umpire the entire time because it's so I think we've got to get away from the you know like a, a, a referee or an umpire can make a disastrously wrong call and that's just how it stands you know those are the those are the types of plays that really get frustrating but at the same time I can't stand how much these basketball games are getting stopped. It's, it's becoming a nuisance watching these games because every time it's like the only thing they don't stop it for is to like go replay the two, the twos and threes. And they kind of have to at near the end of the game. So it's, there's, there's gotta be a way and I don't know what it is and I don't know how they do it, but I just think, this needs to be the starting point of all these leagues investing and trying to find their version of what tennis did to find the best challenge system that doesn't take up enough time. And is just an afterthought after a while, then it is just like a big part of the game. Because I think that's kind of, we're in a transition period where we want to get all the calls right, but we also like live with the fact that sometimes referees get things wrong in real time. I, I, there's gotta be, it's got to be one way or the other. Either we want to get all calls right and we want to do it in the real time, or we're going to have to live with what umpires and referees, you know, call in real time. I I, I think there's just, there's got to be a, I think I'm reaching a breaking point as a fan. And I think a lot of people are too, is like, I can't take this watered down version of games. Uh, I, I think 
we need to to speed it up. It, it, I can't have a, a three to four minute stoppage. When you get down to the last two minutes of a basketball game, if the ball goes out of bounds, you basically know that they're going to go to the replay monitor and figure out who it is. It, it, it can't be like that anymore. We have to have someone in real time uh, making those types of decisions. And I think it's got to be something like, I don't know, maybe the easiest version. And I've thought about this a few times is just having a ref that's always watching the live feed. And instead of going to, a replay and making those refs that are on the floor, stop what they're doing, go over to a monitor and look at it. There's a ref that's already over there. Who's already looking at every play in real time on the monitor and seeing what we're seeing as fans so that they just go, Hey, what did you see? And he makes the call. Doesn't have to go watch four or five replays to do it because he's already watched all those replays beforehand. So I think there's gotta be a, just like a quicker version of like how we do this because I'm all for getting all the calls, right? I think like, if you've ever been in a, in a game where a, a wrong call has cost you something as a Tigers fan, the Armando Galarraga uh, missed call on this perfect game is something that like, if we can't like, if we can't have replay, then we need like, that has to be something that we need to be able to replay. Uh, at the same time, we can't be killing like some of the greatest basketball games, like some of the most fun basketball games to watch because we've got to replay. Oh, if that ball went out of bounds off that guy, or if that call was a flagrant one or a flagrant two, uh, I think it's just, there's, there, there's a balance. And I think we're losing it a little bit in terms of like getting every call right versus the replay system. We need to find the balance again, wherever it is. I, I don't know how we do it. I don't know what it is, but I think this is just like a wake up call for the leagues to be like, Hey, let's find it. Let's figure out what we have to do to bring that balance back to justice. Because if, until I feel like we're just getting more and more the other way. We're just like, we're going to take as much time as possible to get the calls. Right. And it's like, why? No, we should be trying to figure out how to get those calls right in real time. And if the referees can't do it in real time, then we've got to find another system to do it. I don't know what that is, but um Hopefully at some point we'll figure it out. Uh, let's move on now. This week in sports, last night the NFL schedules were released for the first time. We got a good look at what our franchises are going to be doing uh, in the 2022 season. Uh, Dylan, what were your thoughts, your takeaways uh, from the NFL schedule release last night? Well, I'll start off with my Titans. Um, they open up on the 21st anniversary of 9-11, September 11th, uh, against the New York Giants. I think that's interesting. I, I wish it was in New York, honestly. I, I feel like then I, hopefully the Jets are at home that week. I, I feel like the NFL, if they're playing on 9-11, a New York team should be playing at home. Because it's such I, – I got to go to a game uh, last year. I went to the NFL opening weekend in Cincinnati on 9-11 weekend. It was the 20th anniversary. And the things the NFL did, that they went out of their way to honor the victims and just made a big presentation about it. And obviously sports had a huge tie at the time with people feeling comfortable going to mass gatherings right after the tragedy. Um, I feel like with the games being played on that day, playing against the New York team is really cool. And I, I hate it because, like, I feel like on that day you should want to root for New York teams. But I, I'm going to hope the Giants lose that day because they're playing the Titans. Uh, that, I think it's an interesting start to the year because we talked about it. I like the Giants team. I think we our friend Trey Hornbuckle came on the show and said Danny Dimes is the guy in New York. I, I really hope he doesn't hold that roster back because I think they have a really solid roster. I hope Danny Dimes has a breakthrough year. Hopefully it comes in week two, though, 
because I, I hope Tennessee gets a nice win because they've got a tough schedule. Week two, they got Monday Night Football against Buffalo, and then they have winnable games. And they have a stretch late, or I guess it's midseason, starting in week six. Or no, that's week nine. Excuse me. I might have dyslexia. Who knows? Um, week nine, they go to Kansas City for Sunday Night Football. Week 10, you've got the Denver Broncos, the new-look Denver Broncos at home who with Russell Wilson, which I I'm honestly have no clue. They'll probably beat the Titans. And then you have to go to Green Bay week uh, 11. So week 11, that's November 17th in Green Bay, Wisconsin. At 7 o'clock on Thursday Night Football, there will probably be 17 inches of snow. The Titans the Titans have played at Lambeau Field like four times in my life. They lose by a million every single time. So I assume the same thing will happen. And then November 27th, they get to play the Cincinnati Bengals in Nashville again. And I can only assume the Titans will lose that game too because Joe Burrow's already 2-0 and against the Titans. He'll probably be 3-0. and And after that hellacious stretch, they get to go to Philadelphia to play the Eagles and A.J. Brown. And I feel like the Titans could lose all five of those games. Like That is a really, really tough stretch in the middle of the season where guys will be beat up. Titans are such a physical team that there's no doubt guys will be beat up. And the end of the season isn't much better. And the, in a four-week stretch to end the season, they have to play the Chargers. I almost said the Clippers. LAC threw me off. They have to play the Chargers and the Dallas Cowboys. Two of the last four games against those teams were going to be good. And that that sucks. But, um, I mean, they'll be fine. The Titans have established themselves, in my opinion, as a team that wins football games that they shouldn't. And I, I think they'll be able to do that next year. Um, I'm like a grander stage looking at like the entire league. There's interesting matchups all around. Um, the LA teams play each other this year. Uh, week one, Seattle plays Denver, which is like, it seems like it was evil by the league to do that. Like Seattle's first game without Russell Wilson as their starting quarterback is against Russell Wilson. That like just seems like torture to a Seahawks fan. Um, the Bills and Chiefs play in the regular season, which is cool. Um, there's just a lot of really interesting matchups that come up. And obviously, like, you can look at all these things and, like, hypothetically say, like, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, whatever. None of us sat here last year and were like, the Bengals are going to win the AFC North and they're going to win the Super Bowl. We have no idea. There's so many things that are going to happen. My biggest takeaway from the schedule release was the social media teams from – uh, around the league. Like the Chargers, they made a two-minute anime of their schedule. And if you haven't watched it, like go out of your way to see it because it is like I'm not – I would not consider myself an anime guy. I like sat there and laughed the whole time. So if, if you know the league, like you'll you'll get great enjoyment out of it because they take digs at like every single team on their uh, schedule. And it's just a blast to watch. They also went down their schedule and they're like, our 2022 schedule – as Pop-Tart flavors. And it's just, like, so random. The Seahawks, they filmed a comedy skit. It was about seven minutes long of them giving their team a fake schedule. And it was, like, the worst schedule possible. Like, five road games in a row twice. And, like, they didn't get a bye week after they went to Germany. And, like, all just, like, terrible. And all the players like, this is awful. Like, I, how could the league do this? Like, we're going to call the league. And at the end, they're like, JK, that's not the real schedule. And I was like, that, that's fun. I, I like how the teams are celebrating it. They're making it feel like a big deal. And um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on, I don't know if 
you saw this or anyone else listening saw this. There was an account on Twitter that went mega viral. It was like NFL leak schedule was the account name and gained like 10,000 followers over a couple of days. And he was just tweeting out random, like the chargers will play the bills on November 17th at three twenty-five PM on Fox. And he would just, he was just making it up and people believed him. And like yesterday he was like, yeah, I just made this all up for clout uh, and wanted to prove how easy it was to spread misinformation on the internet. Thanks. And he's like, thanks for following me. I got 10,000 followers out of it. I love that. It's, it feels like this is becoming a bigger, bigger thing by the year. And I, I really enjoy it. Like we get the draft and we, then we get this, the NFL's king and they just like doing things like releasing the schedule is a huge event, which I love, but yeah. Uh, It'll give us things to talk about for a long time, and everybody is going to look at their team schedule and be like, oh, my God, we're screwed. We're going to lose every game. Because I saw the Titans' schedules. Like, oh, yeah, 0-17. It, it's like every year I'm like, yeah, they're not going to win a game. They'll be fine, though. Yeah, it, it's exciting time. Yeah, you you hit the nail right on the head. The first thing I got to say is I loved all the videos from those social media teams. They kicked it in the high gear. I think that was maybe the best that uh, any of these social media teams have ever done, like for a professional sports team, for any event. Like I know they had, they probably had time and they had ideas to, to deal with it, but like every one of them knocked it out of the park, especially the Lions. I mean, they had the Detroit, you know, uh, self-defense guy doing his his thing, and that was hilarious. And then the, the Green Bay had that golden tee uh, demo where they had Aaron Rodgers and all their best players, like, going through golden tee. Like, everything was just spot on. I thought they did a great job with that. And I, I think that just – it set the bar really high for what other schedule reveals are going to look like in the future. Um Moving on to the Lions, I mean, how the how are we the only team without a primetime game? I mean, that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Uh, I know the Lions are bad. I, I've I've been very vocal on how I feel about the Lions. I'm a realist about the Lions, and I don't think they're going to be very good this year either. But no primetime game? I mean, we're at least fun. People want to watch Dan Campbell, and they want to watch that team. And I think – you know, you've got Jamison Williams now. You got Aiden Hutchinson. You've at least got some guys that people are going to want to watch. Where last year it was no fun. This year, it's, there's at least something there. And watching what Dan Campbell does in year two is at least a little bit more fun. I don't know. I don't know how the NFL screwed us and didn't give us a primetime game. But in terms of the Lions' schedule overall, I'm again, I'm not high on this team, but I'm a lot higher on their chances of this season when we've got teams like the Jets and the Jaguars and the Seahawks versus last year where we, you know, we had to play the Rams and the Bengals back-to-back weeks. We had the Ravens early in the season. We had like an 0-4 start lined up from us on our schedule last year, where this year I really think we have a pretty good shot to start the year on a, a decently high note. We've got the Eagles week one, which the Eagles are definitely getting better, but I'm not sold that the Eagles are going to be like this world beater team that everyone thinks they're going to be. I think that the Lions could give them trouble in week one at home. Uh, Then you've got the commanders and, you know, I like the commanders defense. They're still the commanders. I don't know if they've got anything that's really going to scare you on offense. You go to Minnesota after that. That's Minnesota. Seattle is nothing anymore. I don't, I think Seattle is going to be really bad this year and we're going to get into that in our power rankings at some point, but I think Seattle is taking a nosedive without Russell Wilson this year. You go to new England at Dallas. That's probably your biggest road trip. That's that's tough going to New England and Dallas in back-to-back weeks. But then you get to host the Dolphins. Uh, I know the Dolphins are, you know, reloading at the same time, but I, you know, it's Miami. You know, there's still like the, it's not, 
you're not facing these vaulted teams that we're used to facing. We've got the Packers after that. We go to Chicago. We go to New York, uh, the Giants. Um, and then we host the Bills. I think that's probably our toughest home game is uh, playing at home against Buffalo. But then you've got the Jaguars. I mean, like, I don't think the Jaguars are scary anymore. I, I don't think a lot of these teams really, like, strike fear into me. Then you've got the Vikings. You go to the Jets. You go to the Panthers. And then you got the Bears. And you go at Green Bay again. I don't see... There's like two of those games where I'm like chalking them up as losses for sure. Now they're the lions. So they'll probably lose a good amount of those games, but still it's a lot different than last year where I was like, Oh, we're and four off the bat. And we're going to be struggling to get over 500 at the whole time. We could start around, you know, two and two and two, three and two, somewhere around there and be in a good spot after five or six games. So I think that, you know, in terms of a Lions fan, it's, you know, it's a, it's kind of what you expect uh, or kind of hope to expect from the Lions schedule. It's like, no one really scares you that much. No one really is over the top going to definitely beat you. And people are sleeping on you. We don't even have a primetime game. So no one's going to even be really, really paying attention to what we're doing. So uh, I think the Lions, you know, this might be a, a turning point year for the Lions. I think Dan Campbell in year two, uh, has done some decent things. I just, you know, how high you can be with Jared Goff is 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 a whole other story and a whole other thing we can get into in another time. But uh, in terms of the schedule, I was not I was not put off by it, and I think that's a good thing as a Lions fan. If you're not like, oh, we're done at, at schedule release, then hey, there's a decent chance that you might have a, a pretty successful year. I, I still think competing with Green Bay is not going to be you know in the cards this year, but. I do think this is a schedule for a year or two and Dan Campbell to take a step forward. I think that there's definite opportunities to prove yourself as, you know, you're taking those steps to be good. And, and then we'll see what the, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see if I'm eating my words here in a few weeks, but or in a few months, but we'll see down the road. I was overall, like you said, thrilled with like what happened. I think the overall, it was a fun situation. And the more we add, you know, off season stuff like this in football that like gets you excited, gets you pumped up even months out like this is a good thing. And I think we need more of it. So happy to see it. And I hope it gets even better next year. I hope that social media teams see what everyone did. And it's like, okay, now I've got good ideas for what I'm going to do. And maybe college football can do a similar thing. I know those are like kind of set in stone in advance, but uh, you know, it, it gives you some ideas. It gives you some things to work with. I think this was fun uh and uh you know kudos to those teams those social media teams that did what they did because i think it made uh for a lot of fun this year all right we're gonna wrap it up with our picks for tonight's nba playoff matchups two of the most fun uh series in all of the nba playoffs one is for sure wrapping up tonight and one may be wrapping up tonight uh out in san francisco we'll start with the game seven bucks versus celtics the biggest game uh of the series what do you like in that one, Dylan? Is that really game set? No, it's game six. Milwaukee's up three two. I messed up. I messed up. Which wait, which series is it? They're both three two. Mavericks force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mavericks force game seven. I'm I'm sorry. My my brain's all messed up. But game six, Bucks and Celtics. I was so confused. I was like, I was like, when did I miss game six? Um, I so for this one, I. I've been high on the Celtics since the playoffs started and I'm still a Celtics believer. I know they kind of had a meltdown last game 
and they should have won, and they should be the ones up 3-2 as, uh, as they head into this game. But I don't know. I, I have a hard time picking against Boston. Against like I don't care that it's Giannis. I know they're the defending champions, but I think Boston, if they want to prove that they're the two seed in the East, if they they weren't a fluke at the end of the season after the All Star break, that they were the hypothetically the best team in the league on a lot of metrics, they got to go into uh, this game and they got to play the best ball they've played all year because Giannis and Drew Holiday they know how to close out series. We know that. They've won a championship in the last 365 days. They, they're built for this. I mean, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and old man Al Horford have got to buckle down and get ready for a fight, and I think they will. I think this is a big-time uh, game. It's a, it, I don't want to call it like a legacy game, but it's, it's a game that could really define the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown era in Boston. So if they're able to force a game seven, where it's anything can happen and it'll be in Boston, uh, this could go a lot of different ways. And I think it'd be huge for them. It'd be huge just for that Celtics organization in general to force a game seven against the defending champions. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Celtics mostly because I want a game seven. I want more basketball because this series has been awesome. Like you said, and, uh, and because I, I just like the Celtics, I have all playoffs and I, I'm going to continue to ride with them. So yeah, I'm with the Boston Celtics to force a game seven. Who do you have in that one? Uh, I have written down on my sheet, just picking the moment because I really couldn't pick when I was writing it down. I think Drew Holiday sold me last week on or last game on. He is truly, you know, one of the elite point guards in the league. And that those two defensive plays down the stretch in that game sold me. I was like, I, because I'm always, I, I think in the NBA, I tend to look at offense a little bit more, especially with point guards. I'm looking at their offensive game, but Drew Holiday might be one of the better defenders, two-way point guards in, in the NBA because he can defend just as well as anybody and he can score just as well as anybody. He had a big three down the stretch when they needed it to tie the game, and then he had those two that block and that seal down the stretch. I, I think he sold me. He is truly an elite player, and that gives the, the, the Bucks just the, that much better of a roster. Uh, obviously, they don't have Middleton, but I think Drew Holiday mixed with Giannis. I think that's just going to be too much uh, at home. I think the Bucks get it done, and they're going to take Game Six tonight and that series a bit early. I know I want to see it go to seven too, so I'm kind of going to be rooting for the Celtics because that's been a really fun series. But um, I think that the Bucks will get it done tonight. All right, moving on to your Grizzlies going out to Golden State to try to force a Game Seven. Who are you liking that one, Dylan? Are the Grizzlies better without John Morant? That is a true question. Yeah. Uh, they blew the Warriors out in game uh, five, which no one thought would happen. I mean, like a historic, just like, for lack of better words, ass whooping. And they just, I mean, they just laid down the lumber on the Golden State Warriors. And I don't think anyone saw it coming. Golden State definitely didn't see it coming. They, they did not look sharp at all from the very beginning. And you got to imagine they're going to look a lot sharper in game six. But I think Memphis is really fired up. I feel like a lot of those guys feel really disrespected because everybody wrote them off the second jaw went down. Like the Grizzlies are done. I I feel like the Grizzlies feel really, really disrespected. I think this is going to be a really close game, just like game five was, um, or game four, excuse me. And, um, so they've shown they can keep it tight without jaw in San Francisco. I think this one, they can get it done. I 
uh, <laughs> we lost Dylan, but I'm just going to wrap it up here. I've got, I've got Golden State as well, or I've got Golden State not as well. I think Golden State gets it done tonight in San Francisco. I think uh, they're going to bounce back from what they saw as just like a total butt kicking, like you said. They totally got swamped in that game in that game five, and you know, I, I think that was you know more Memphis playing, like you said, playing. Uh, offended you know everyone wrote them off and everyone said the job without job they were going to be uh th- there was no chance and and curry and them kind of went into the game kind of expecting to win you heard what they said pre-game it was kind of an expected type thing and then that was what happens when you go into an nba game thinking that you can't lose that's what happens when you when when uh especially in the playoffs but i think going back home uh you get hit, hit in the mouth with the way that the uh, the warriors did it, it it stabilizes what they've got to do. Um, I don't know if Steve Kerr's back tonight yet or not from the COVID. Probably not, I would assume. But um, I don't. I don't think that's uh, going to be as big of an impact at home as it was on the road. So I think Golden State gets it done, and both these series get wrapped up tonight in six games. So uh, I'm picking Golden State tonight. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to be rooting against my picks kind of because I want game sevens in both of those series. But I, I do think uh, if I have to take the two, I'll take the Bucks and I'll take Golden State. Uh, all right. That's going to do it from us here at the Dylan and Dylan show. Dylan, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I'm very curious if the Grizzlies are able to win tonight and force a game seven. I'm very curious if John Morant will try to play in game seven because he's out with the bone bruise. And I'm just curious if he'll try, if they'll let him. So, I mean, hypothetically, they've won two games without him. Why not just keep running? But at the same time, he's your best player. So, a lot of things going on there. I, I'm very, very curious as to the situations that could be ahead of us if the Grizzlies are able to knock off Golden State tonight, which who knows. I, I'm picking them because I, I won a game seven. I, I believe in this Grizzlies team. I've watched – I watched almost every single one of their games this year. I, I believe they're a really good team. I, I think they're better than the Warriors. I really do. I th- and I have so much respect for this Warriors team. But I, I think the Grizzlies are better. I, I especially think they're better when Jaws on the court. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens there. And I'm so excited for Boston Milwaukee with having no cards on the table with that one, just being able to watch basketball. I'm excited to see what happens. Excited to see Giannis play against the core of Tatum and Brown and just whatever happens, happens. I, whoever – whether uh, Milwaukee closes it tonight or Boston is able to force a game seven and we get to see a winner uh, go to play Miami and loser go home. So I can't wait. A lot of exciting stuff's going to happen before we uh, talk next week and cannot wait for that either. But yeah, that's all I got. All right. Awesome stuff. Here's where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan Dylan show on Instagram and Twitter. You can find tunnel vision sports on Instagram at tunnel vision sports underscore TikTok and Twitter on at underscore TV sports, Facebook and LinkedIn to television sports and on the web at TV sports, Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend and we will see you next week. Goodbye.